Hey everyone, some listeners may find potentially sensitive content in this episode. Please check the timestamps before listening. Also, because I, I guess we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff around cancer and all that. If we in Hamish are like really uneducated about like all of it, like we probably are, <laughs> uh, just like correct us and all that. Even better. Of course I'll correct you. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Hamish. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Hamish. And I'm your other host, Aaron. And today we're joined by Maddie, who's a call out from Bianca's episode. Maddie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Maddie. I want to say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you can say you can say whatever whatever you want. How did you know Bianca? We lived together in our final year at Warwick. I know you guys went to Warwick as well, so yeah, we met there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen, but like most of our guests are pretty much Warwick. It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're just cycling. You need to that. break the chain somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what did you uh, study? Classics. We've had one other classics Warwick student. Yeah, how did you find Warwick University? Warwick, I enjoy, I would say my highlight, I did also do a year abroad like Bianca, so that's why we lived together in final year. Right. Uh, so that was the best bit, which was actually being away from Warwick. I liked it. <laughs> I liked the campus living because I live in London normally, so it was quite nice to feel sort of in a more quiet setting, very studenty setting. It was, yeah, it was good. The course, I can't say I've actually learned that much mm. if you test me on classics knowledge don't expect that much <laughs> it was more for the experience I think yeah, yeah how come classics originally I chose classics because I studied latin at school and I just really really liked it and my a-level latin teacher was basically pushing me to do classics and they made it sound really really fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I was like, well, that sounds really cool. And I thought, oh, I can learn Greek as well. I love ancient history. So learning a bit more about that, I just thought, so I picked it because I thought it was interesting. There was no like backing behind it. It was just something I enjoyed. No, that's cool. You mentioned there you had, you did a year abroad. Yes. It's, it's, it's interesting actually when you were saying that, how I've never heard someone like put it that way where when I asked you like how was Warwick and you went like the best year was actually the year you wasn't at Warwick which I guess is for a lot of people most people who do year abroad funnily enough mm. I don't know if that says something bad about Warwick or just the UK or just no yeah. I mean, it's just the company they had it's, it's nothing yeah. <laughs> uh, well to be fair I did have a couple of like rough years I feel like a lot of people's like story is that as well as like the year before they go on their year abroad it's like really tough for whatever reason like my living situation was just really uncomfortable yeah. so like I feel like just getting out of the country it just feels like this big like release and like like almost everyone I, I moved in with three other girls who were also doing classics who also went as I went to Rome in Italy okay. so we all went together and we all lived together and we all had this like oh yeah I had this went through this terrible experience in second year so this is like a feel like you're like freedom and you can find yourself again yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's such a common thing that everyone's the like escape. I found myself in my year abroad yeah, yeah. A, a gap year yeah so that's what it is yeah. so you went Rome yeah had to learn Italian Ooh. as part of my course so all of my lectures and all this all of the studying was done in Italian again don't test me on Italian please <laughs> I, I, I can count in Italian and oh. say hello. That's what the A star in Italian Jesus he did for me. That's all I can remember. <laughs> I can count to 10. I think I could just about order in a restaurant still, but 
that's about it. Passing an exam. So all of our exams as well were oral exams with, you know, Italian professors. And you had to sort of sit there for half an hour to an hour sometimes just chatting to them about the module that you'd done in Italian. (laughs) So the studying part of the year abroad was very, very stressful. The rest of it was great. Italian food, Italian culture, meeting people, a bit of traveling. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, awesome. But yeah, where where are the where other places have you like traveled to? I've stuck to Europe because of budget. So I'm excited to sort of branch out of Europe. I've done a lot, a lot of Europe, a lot of Italy. I'm trying to think of what my Italy highlights would have been. Me and my flatmate did this sort of 10-day tour, quotations, of northern Italy. So over 10 days we visited like, oh, how many? Could it have been eight different cities? That's cool. So like Bologna, Milan, Venice, Verona. Uh, it was so much fun. And by the end of it, some days we were walking like 30,000 steps. By the end of it, it was, my knees were packed in. I was like an 80-year-old. I, was like, <laughs> I can't walk for two days. But it was so much fun. Done all on a budget. We were surviving off crisp sandwiches. <laughs> Classic. The old slice of pizza, obviously. Yeah, yeah, go so yeah, I did a lot of traveling around Italy. And other than that, I would say my favorite places. I love Scandinavia. Love it. Bit cold. Some like Finland, Denmark, all of those types of places. Love it so much. Yeah. They're very happy places. Oh, happy. Yeah, they're very happy. They're like, aren't they the happiest, happiest countries in Europe or happiest countries in the world or something? I think I read that somewhere, but then I was just like, how, how do they measure that? So they just like ask people? This is fair i can't remember i've def- <laughs> I've read a whole book about it I can't, I can't remember how they measure it it must be like a survey just like i, I don't have know. no idea and it's a weird one because there's got to be a how happy are you on a scale of one to ten gotta be yeah well i was gonna say it's definitely not by suicide rates because apparently these countries actually have the biggest suicide rates because of and they say it's because of the weather because they get really really short days in winter where it's just like dark all through winter you know those snowy places like Norway and stuff yeah so they have like the happiest population but also the highest suicide rates very interesting (laughs) was that in the book (laughs) it was in the book so it's fact it's fact guys yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah how's it been like with covid then i guess you haven't been able to if you're quite like a frequent traveler yeah. I guess COVID has kind of put a halt to things. Yeah, definitely. Me and my sister went away. So last February, just before it all sort of kicked off, we went for a week to Spain. I thought this was going to be the start of me and my little sister traveling together and me taking her away and taking on her first little holiday without the parents. Clearly not. But So I felt really like, oh, I've, I've been away now. So when the pandemic hit, I was like, it's okay. I've had my fill of holidays. And nobody else is traveling. So I didn't feel too left out. But now it's been over a year. I'm well ready to go on holiday. And it's winter again. Just like, I just want some sun. Just a beach and sun. I don't even want to see the world. I just want a bit of sunshine. <laughs> there was like two hours of sunshine today morning. I was like, what's going on in this country? Yeah. And I still didn't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Outside? What's outside? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where were you when you heard about COVID? Bit of a weird question, but uh, I don't know why that just came to my head. Hmm. I think February was, well, January. So this time last year was um, Chinese New Year. So I definitely remember speaking to people at work about it because I said, I'm going to go to Chinatown for Chinese New Year. And my colleague was like, 
are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, uh, what? She was like, you know, the virus in China. I was like, yeah, it's in China, yeah. <laughs> not in London. Ha <laughs> ha ha. So I went to China's, China's New Year in Chinatown. It was packed. It was so busy. And then, and I was, I was aware of it, but at that point it wasn't really in London. I really didn't think it was going to like spread yeah. in London, to be honest. And then February, when we went to Spain, we were definitely more aware of it, but like nobody was making it. We found it actually found it a bit strange that not that many people were wearing masks and stuff. We were like, oh, it was like really normal. There wasn't any extra like hand washing or whatever. I was sanitizing my hands the whole week, like all the time. But I, I'm kind of a bit like I would have done that anyway on holiday. Okay. Um, and then it was like on our train back home from the airport, there was a couple on the train and this was when, where was it? somewhere in Spain had like completely locked down they'd like locked everyone in the hotel because COVID had spread through the whole hotel and that was when me and my sister were like oh my god we were so close we're like it's spreading through Spain and then it starts spreading through Italy Hmm. very surreal and I was like we're not going to go into lockdown and we were watching Italy and Spain go to these really strict lockdowns we're like no no no, that's not going to happen here. Of course, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Can't happen in so Great weird, Britain. Isn't it? <laughs> I think I think I was pretty similar. What's the first thing on your list? Maybe like even place to visit once you are like able to. Ooh. Same question for you, Hamish. One place I really want to go to America, to be honest. And like I've saved up a little bit of money because I've been on furlough for ages and not been doing anything, not been spending any money. I mean, hmm. so I want to take some of that money, go somewhere great, like. America. I have a friend there. I'd love love to visit her so much. She's in um Minnesota, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's Minnesota. No, wicked. Uh, that's a, that's so I want to go in a... summer. It's too cold there at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota's <laughs> a bit of a yeah, a bit of a different one. Like you don't hear of like people who go it to is. America go visit Minnesota. No. I might ask her to meet me halfway in New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. What about you, Hamish? I'm yeah. probably just going to keep saving so I can get on the bloody property ladder sooner. So I'll, the most I would travel. Or not even travel, like what is the first thing you would do? I need to get, get in range of a banana tree to get takeaway from banana tree. That's what <laughs> I need to do first thing. I'll probably meet up with like Willie and Krishan um, locally and probably like chill in a park or something with them. What else nice. would I do? Obviously, I'd want to link like some of our groups, Aaron, but I don't know how feasible it's going to be anytime soon. So we'll stick to those Zoom um, games nights for the time being. What do I want to do? Basically, I think like one of the main things is food. Like currently, there's only like two takeaway places I can order from and just have the same home food. Not that I'm ungrateful for it, but it'd be nice to have proper options that you can have elsewhere. Yeah. In the first lockdown, I was like, what's the first thing we do? Get Nando's. And it wasn't. <laughs> Actually, what was it? <laughs> wasn't the first thing I did. But in my head, I was like, Nando's, Sandos. <laughs> what was the first thing I did? I think I went to my boyfriend's house and spent a few nights there. <laughs> we oh. hadn't seen each other for like four months, which was horrible. And again, we're having to do it again. We just don't really live close enough. We see each other regularly and both need to be home for our own reasons. Yeah. So again, the first thing I'll probably do is go to his house. What is your Nando's order? Nando's. Half a chicken. Medium, hot if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling spicy. Okay. <laughs> spicy rice. Spicy rice and chips, but not always chips. Sometimes I'll go for that, what's it called? The super green, super grain. 
one, which is really sad, but I really like it. Oh, okay. 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 It's a half a chicken. And I will eat that and I will I'll still be like looking for more chicken afterwards. I love it so much. To be fair, you still go more spicy than Hamish. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Literally I'm running the models. Wait, you know what I miss out? I wish they added the sunset burger back to the thing so I could order a goddamn sunset oh. burger. But what do you mean? The co- they don't have the sunset burger? From COVID, the COVID menu doesn't involve even the last time we went <gasps> Nando's in person, we couldn't get. Do you remember when we queued yeah. up with TK for like yeah, yeah. an hour or something? Even then, the COVID menu just doesn't have sunset because it's too long to cook, I guess. Okay, but it'll be back eventually. Oh. I thought you meant it got like removed. No, forever. no, no. It'll be back eventually, but we don't know when eventually is. Wait, Aaron, where, where would you go? I, I think it obviously wouldn't be the very first thing, but like one of the first things I want to do is probably go see a football match. Oof. Yeah. I like how you got Fair zero enough. to 100 real quick. Like, it wasn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you want to go to a big <laughs> event here, right? Away. It's such a big thing that's missing from like society though isn't it I'm not like a football fan but my boyfriend's like a massive football fan and he's got a season ticket and so he used to go like every week okay yeah it's such a big thing that's like dropped from his life yeah so the thing is it's not like I went regularly or anything but it's yeah I don't know so you just want to be in a crowd really don't you I I know (laughs) it sounds weird now now I said it like why do I want to do that so soon the thing is Aaron I don't blame you I want to go to a concert but I don't want to be around that many people like I have I have so many tickets like just keep getting rescheduled I can't do anything about it yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not also not gonna go anytime soon I think it's just been in a space where like everyone is like because I imagine once it's over everyone's just gonna be so happy do you know what I mean like uh, and then if we'll be in a stadium 2028 like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't wait and like the atmosphere and like something like a football stadium or a concert as you said I imagine it'll like that period as soon as COVID is finished will be like incredible yeah hopefully the vibes is gonna be amazing yeah yeah all about the vibes i don't i was gonna try and say like um <laughs> since we can't go on vacation you've been offered to i don't know what about vaccinations i don't know if that, i don't know if that, i don't know okay well, we're gonna leave that in as it is <laughs> so segue word, word on the grapevine is that what it is aaron word on the grapevine is yeah yeah word on the grapevine that right. you'll be getting the covid vaccine well, you've got it or you had the first me yeah yeah, yeah i had it last week yeah. Which one is that? Like, there's like four variants or five variants. Yeah, variants. I got the uh, AstraZeneca <laughs> Oxford vaccine. Very. It was a very very happy day. The phone call and the vaccination day. It's one of those like you can't contain your excitement. But I'm just on my own and I'm walking down the street like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got the vaccine. Fun times. Didn't hurt was very safely done like they literally like sanitize your chair like after every patient or whatever very social distance everyone's wearing a mask and it's just very very well done you do need two jabs and they've told me the next one i will get in 11 weeks (laughs) which is too long away isn't that longer than usual i think or is that average for the effectiveness, they want you to have it the second jab between three and 12 weeks. After 12 weeks, I think they've basically said it's pointless you get in the second jab. Okay. So hopefully I will get it within 12 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's like, so with the first jab, what does that really do? Is that basically <laughs> nothing until the second jab? No, you do build up some immunity. Yeah. And each uh, yeah, each vaccine is different, so some have like a different like effectiveness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'll have 
after a few weeks, after my body's like built up the immunity, I will have some immunity to it, but I'm still, I will still be able to catch it, just less likely. The one that I read up on was it was like at the 28 days you have to don't get the second jab and then you'll be good for like at least six to seven months because then yeah it's not really been tested well than that. <laughs> Great! <laughs> it seems like every day I'm hearing like oh this new vaccine has been approved or this new vaccine has got this percentage efficiency no not efficiency yeah. there is a new one yeah yeah not fully approved but there's loads that have, I feel like have been not approved but they've been like passing doing well in tests yeah they've gone through sort of the trial stage you've got to imagine like every like lab has been trying to get a vaccine like every scientist if they've had a spare moment are like looking for a vaccine and they've been doing it for all the same amount of time so that's why now all of these vaccines are coming through i think there is a new novavax is it that one it's got actually really high it rings a bell, um, percentage yeah. effectiveness but they said it's it's not going to be ready for use for a few more months still so they're just rolling out these three, but they've already ordered millions of this new vaccine. So once we get all of the vaccines that we've ordered, we've ordered so many that we could pop, we could vaccinate the whole of our population more than once. So we've got That's good. more vaccines on order than we need. I don't know why. I think it's just... Yeah. Uh, why, is that, why is that good? I thing? don't know why, to be honest, but they've said... <laughs> In case they lose some, like just <laughs> drop it on the floor. <laughs> I don't know. But it could also be good for the case that, say, some of them only last like seven months, then we at least have some stock of something mm. ready for whatever. Because we, we basically, every single day, we're adding a day onto the whatever life is of the current exper- experimentation going on with someone else out there that's been vaccinated for, say, like six months. As um, far as yeah, I know, though, we were actually like, we're one of the best countries for the vaccine, like the amount of vaccines we've done, like per. 100,000 people or something, whatever it is. Yeah. And I saw, I know when the vaccines first started um, being like announced, there was a lot of like, a lot of people like being like, oh no, I don't want to take the vaccine kind of thing. Anti-vaxxers. They're going to put computer chips inside <laughs> us. <laughs> but I believe I saw a tweet as well saying that the UK had one of like top percentage of non-anti-vaxxers, if that makes sense. Tweet, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> yeah, but from like a journalist, like how else like information does appear in tweets, Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is, I think, positive stuff. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people are afraid of the vaccine and they think it's too quick. There's a lot of misinformation. Um, apparently, Facebook is actually one of the biggest spreaders of misinformation, which I find strange because I didn't think Facebook was like as big as. Twitter and Instagram, but it might be the demographic that use Facebook. There's a lot of stuff. People saying, don't take it. It's going to make you infertile. You know, like, (laughs) I mean, maybe, but, you know, you could already be infertile. You don't (laughs) probably don't know, do you? (laughs) I know there's loads of stuff. It's like, oh, it could kill you. I'm like, "Mm, lots of things could kill you, but COVID definitely could kill you. (laughs) Wouldn't you rather be protected against that? Yeah, pretty much. I think, I yeah, it's a difficult thing, but I was like literally jumped on the person on the phone was like, would you like your COVID vaccine? It's like, yes, please. <laughs> and then I had to sort of say it verbally consent. So the last question again was, and do you consent to the vaccine? I was like, yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> Get it in there. 
is there a specific reason why you were given the vaccine before? Yeah, uh, I am classed as clinically extremely vulnerable. Okay. Fun so, reason to be on the to be on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, that's. I guess a segue into. Um, <laughs> Yeah. There's there's no easy way to make this yeah, segue. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to queue up something with the mist there, but I'm like, you know what? Yeah, so I might as well just kick the ball over and see what happens. Yeah, I don't know if you find that as well. Like when people, if I don't know if you have like people trying to like talk about the topic, like and cancer as well, they mm-hmm. might treat it like quite as a. I don't know how to put it, like a taboo topic, like something taboo, very like definitely a taboo like very like dangerous to talk about or something i don't know that you have to kind of tiptoe around almost do you find that often with like people you speak to yeah definitely if i've just met someone i just won't tell them yeah i guess it isn't something that you can just like yeah (laughs) no it's not something that comes up unless it like really comes up or it's like i like really should tell them now or like sometimes someone will be talking to me about their family member who has cancer and they're trying they're talking to me like I'm a cancer muggle and I'm, I have to be like oh I actually know quite a lot about this and then I have to tell them but most of the time I just won't tell people and then maybe I'll follow them on Instagram and then they'll follow me on Instagram and then they'll find out because <laughs> online I'm very very open about it but I just don't like I'm not the sort of person that will bring up something negative I just, I get this, I hate this like, idea of like, I'm like upsetting other people, which is interesting because you're saying that you don't, people don't want to upset me. I'm like more upset about upsetting the other person. Yeah. Yeah. And quickly on that note, I'm just going to say, if anyone doesn't want to listen to the stop, you can, there's timestamps in the description. You could just skip over it if you prefer, because we obviously don't want to be insensitive to others. Yeah. It's such a like hard topic and anyone that has been through it or lost or had a family member die from it is very traumatic and not everyone does want to talk openly about it I I definitely didn't at first like the first few months of my diagnosis I was like very much nobody talk about it nobody bring it up it was taboo to me as well like I couldn't even say the word cancer I was so like nah it's not I'm going to pretend like life is normal and then about less than a year into my diagnosis I found out that it was incurable so I decided that I couldn't just pretend it wasn't happening and I needed to like accept it. And I realized that I needed to talk about it because I'm a talker. <laughs> um, so that's now why I'm like very, very open about it and like to talk about it all the time. <laughs> I think you uh, defined us as people, cancer muggles, I believe. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm going to, we're going to ask questions, hopefully. Oh yeah, go ahead. What kind of one is it? Um, I've got a cancer called sarcoma which is quite a rare type of cancer. So you might not have heard of it, but a lot of people haven't ever heard of sarcoma. I hadn't before I was diagnosed with it. Um, it grew from a lump in my shoulder. It was um, sort of at the back of my shoulder, like on the left side of my back. Um, it was quite a small lump to begin with, like pea-sized. And then around... A year, year and a half later, I'd noticed that it grown to more of like nearly golf ball sized. I was never worried that it was cancer, but I was just yeah. like, well, this is an ugly lump on my back that has grown. So that's why I decided to go to the doctor. It was more a, what do you call it? Aesthetic thing where I kind of 
thought I kind of want to get this lump removed because you can see it assuming it was a cyst or like a lipoma or something yeah so my specific sarcoma is a soft part sarcoma and then within that it's an alveolar soft part sarcoma sarcoma make up one percent of all cancer diagnoses and my specific type of sarcoma makes up 0.1 percent of sarcomas so I have a very very rare type yeah I was I'm in the same boat where I like generally hadn't heard of it until maybe like a week ago or two weeks ago when we were like in conversation about organizing this episode <laughs> for me today yeah how how old were you when you were first diagnosed when i was diagnosed yeah i was 18 it was a few months into my first year at work okay wow yeah <laughs> what was your kind of if any of this is like even hard for you to, I know you said like you're really like open about talking about it. Um, if any of it's like, yeah. yeah, you don't want to just like tell us skip over. How yeah, how was like that like love it. first like how's <laughs> how's the like initial reaction almost like as you said it wasn't my it initial wasn't, like, reaction yeah because you wasn't you were the lump you said like I guess it might have been like mm-hmm. one of the last things on your mind. It was a really long build-up. Sarcomas are really often misdiagnosed, which is why they quite often have already spread by the time people are diagnosed, because even doctors find them difficult to recognise because they're so rare. Like they don't expect a little lump, a little lump on your shoulder or on your leg to be a cancerous lump, because it normally is a cyst or a lipoma. So it's very difficult to recognise. And it was only by my own uh, squeamishness, they tried to remove it in the GP surgery because they told me it was a cyst. Okay. And after they'd inserted the local anaesthetic, I, a big needle phobe as well. So this is, it. whole experience has really tested that. <laughs> they'd injected all the local anaesthetic, which was really painful. And then they started like prodding it and I could still feel it. Because I don't know why I thought this, but I thought local anaesthetic like meant that you couldn't feel anything, but okay. you can still feel it. It's just numb. So it doesn't hurt, <laughs> but you right, can still yeah. feel. And that just completely freaked me out. And I did not let them, I didn't let them cut me open. And they sent me for scans, that initial ultrasound scan, which is, you know, the one that pregnant women have. Mm-hmm. Um, they ultrasounded the lump and they were like, oh, actually, this isn't just a cyst. It looks suspicious. Okay. And then they did tell me I needed a cancer referral, but they also said, but it's almost definitely not cancer. So that was, I was like, oh, it's not then. It's just, you know, it's just, just what they do. And then the whole process got delayed with me moving to uni, me changing GPs. The uni GP decided that actually it wasn't urgent, almost definitely wasn't cancer. So they sent me for more scans that were delayed by two months. So instead of having a two-week urgent cancer referral... Sorry, I was just going to say, so yeah. did you get this checked out at the university, like, on-campus uh, GP? Yeah, so I first got it checked at home. So it all started in the summer before uni. Okay. I got it checked at my home GP. There was this long process of, won't get it removed, have to have a scan. Once I got to uni, my GP called me and said, oh, it's suspicious, you need to tell your new GP that you need an urgent cancer referral. Uh, So I went to my new GP. They had the notes in front of them and they went, it's not urgent, and gave me an MRI scan in two months' time. 
so I'd seen both doctors and they had differing opinions, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. And then the MRI came back as suspicious. Still, they sort of half diagnosed me with a vas- vascular malformation. They said they were like 95% sure it was a vascular malformation, just like this benign thing where you're, I don't know, you're vas. What's the word? Not your veins. Your we're, what? We're, not, we're not good for words. Especially when you syllables. You're stretching. <laughs> anyway, it was just some weird thing, and they were like, "It's okay. We can cut it. It'll come out, but we do need to take a biopsy." And didn't let them take the biopsy, so they had to do the biopsy under general anaesthetic, which delays things further. Eventually, it got to January, and that was when they called me in early after my biopsy, which was my first sign. But even then I was like, maybe they just want to like get rid of me, get it over and done with, you know, just tell me, oh, it's all fine. blah blah. blah. <laughs> and all the warning signs, we were still like, no, it's, it's probably going to be fine, isn't it? So, they said they were like 95% sure it's not going to be cancer. So pff, definitely not going to be. Yeah, it was, unfortunately. And so I'm obviously very annoyed about the fact that it was delayed, that it took five months yeah. from coming to the doctor with my lump to actually being diagnosed. And yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, uh, were you quite, so when that happened, were you quite, were you quite positive about it or were you, you kind of like, oh no, this is like the end of the world kind of thing? Mm, so I was, see, I was kind of in the middle. I think my, the doctor at the time was quite positive-ish. It was very weirdly, I just feel like, I don't know, it felt like they were trying to get a reaction out of me. Whenever I tried to be positive, the doctor was like, no, but this is serious though. And I'm like, oh, so what, what? I don't know. They just give you so much information at that first appointment. I was never anyone that was ever, ever sick. I'd like barely been to the doctor in my whole life. All of a sudden they were like, we need to weigh you, take your blood pressure, take some blood tests, like whatever. A nurse takes you into a private room and starts giving you all these leaflets. It's just like very, very overwhelming. And I was just with my dad as well, because my mum even was like, I'm going to go to work, but it's going to be fine. So I don't need to come with you. (laughs) My dad had to call her on her way to work to tell her the news. I think almost telling people is probably the hardest Hmm. part. And even now, like I tend to like try and do it in a, the easiest way possible, like send out a group message or like make a post or get my dad or someone else to tell people. Cause I just, it's like really overwhelming having to tell each individual person when you've got new news. And yeah, that day, me and my dad sort of had a moment and like we went to a coffee shop yeah. <laughs> and just sort of like, you just unwind a bit and just like think about what's just happened. And I had actually organized, cause it was a trip to London from uni I'd organized to meet my friends on the same day oh, no. <laughs> so me and my dad said goodbye at the tube station a bit of a teary goodbye because I didn't want to leave my dad on his own on the tube but I was like gotta go gotta go see my friends now gotta go to Byron <laughs> I'm gonna go eat a burger now <laughs> okay yeah needless to say worst burger of my life and then um did you tell your friends we decided to continue the day so I t- as soon as, because w- one of them knew what I was doing that day anyway. Right. Yeah. So when I met her at the train station, I literally like 
practically fell out of the train as soon as I saw, saw her. I just like burst into tears and just gave her like a massive hug. And like she knew instantly what it was. But then when my other friend arrived, I was just like, I can't tell her. Mm. I, I can't, like the words aren't going to come out. So we spent the whole of burgers not bringing it up. And then eventually she was like, oh, Maddie, weren't you? weren't you going to like a appointment or something? Like, did you get the results back from that thing? I was like, oh yeah, it's a sarcoma. She's like, I don't know. That sounds cancerous. I was like, yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh, it's just awful. Like, uh, telling on the same day, just awful. And like the story, the story just gets worse because I was actually dating someone else at the time and I had to call him up and tell him the news and oh, he had the worst reaction ever and we broke up like two weeks later <laughs> oh, what? oh he was he was a piece of work oh, I, was, I wasn't sure if you meant worst reaction as in like he started crying or he just took it like i badly. couldn't even explain like he was all over the place like a relationship was breaking down anyway it was always going to end eventually this was just like you know the last straw he was obviously like very, very upset and shocked, but like he went very quiet and said, like, I need a moment, hung up on me, like, fine. And then when he called me back, it was all of this, like, oh, my mum says that my auntie had something like this and she was fine and I think you're going to be fine. And, but he was like, all teary. Like, it was horrible. Yeah. But I didn't realise that this would be the breakdown of our relationship because it was actually the next day he went out that night Again, it was fine. I, I said to him, I know you've got a night out planned. Please go. Like, I want this. I don't want this to like, there's no point in you moping about at home. I want you to go out and have fun. So the next day he was obviously very, very, very hungover. And just, I basically said to him, I really need your support now. He was at uni in Birmingham. I went back to Warwick. So I said, please, like, I need your support. I need you here. And he just ignored me. He told me not to keep going on about my cancer diagnosis. And he basically refused to come and see me. It was just awful. It was very traumatic. My surgery got brought forward. So I thought my surgery was going to be in like a few weeks. All of a sudden I get called like the next day saying, you've got to come in on Monday. We're going to do your surgery on Monday. So it was just a complete panic, a very stressful weekend. And then, so the day after I got back home after my surgery, he visited me. He didn't visit me at all whilst I was in hospital. Five days I was in hospital. He didn't visit me. Yeah, if if you're listening to this, despite me, despite, yeah. Don't see us on road. (laughs) (laughs) Despite me um, texting him whilst I was in hospital, like he knew where I was. He knew I wanted to see him. But I know months later, he said to my friends that it was their fault that he didn't visit me because apparently my friends had told him that they didn't think it was a good idea for him to visit me. But he said, oh, you didn't tell me what ward you were in. And I'm like, I literally texted him the entire time and he knew I wanted him to visit me. But yeah, no, he visited me when I got home and I broke up with him that day. But he arrived for chocolates and flowers. No, good for you. He really thought he was going to fix things. It was horrible. but. I was I felt so free after we broke up because we needed to break up for a long time anyway. Yeah. Um so it was just like the push I needed. So actually like those next few months were like me going through 
a cancer diagnosis and a breakup. It was so, yeah, it was a bit of a mess, to be honest. And all of that as well with like starting university. <laughs> how how was that managing that? Did you like drop out at all or just like continue through it? No, persevered. They were, the department was so good. They were basically like, you can have as many extensions as you need. They sort of did exams were like, they were so flexible. So all of my essays were extended. I think I took a term or half a term off, but nothing was delayed. So I still finished at the same time as everyone else, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then in second year, the cancer spread to my bone and I needed to have more surgery. And this was like closer to exams. Um, and so they let me do, once I was like sort of recovered from that surgery, they let me do essays instead of the exams. So that was really, really good. So they've been so flexible the whole way through. No, that's, that's yeah. Basically. So no, I didn't have to drop, I didn't have to drop out. They had actually experienced, they had another classics student have cancer as well, like a couple oh, years really? before me. Okay. And they put me in contact with her. But so I feel like, and obviously like you get a lot of students who go through stuff whilst they're at uni and for whatever reason, like can't do an essay on time or can't do the exams. So they have things in place yeah. to like modify things. So yeah, I never felt that pressure too much. I definitely wanted to drop out at some point during that first year because I was, I was going through like, what's the point? What's the point in being at uni if they told me that this cancer might have spread? You know, you're Googling all these like statistics and you're just like, well, what's the point in me like spending these years at uni? And I was like, do I even like this course anymore? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh, of course I had all of that on top of like whatever else everyone else goes through at uni. Yeah, I was going to quickly ask about the the surgery you had. So like, because it's from what I've seen on the images, roughly where they're drawing it. So like, it's not exact, as you said, they couldn't like exactly just remove it full on. So like, I assume they couldn't remove like half the bone or something. So like, what, like, did they just remove the excess of it? Or like, how did that work? It is, yeah, it, I, I'm kind of laughing at the question because like, I'm like, Ugh. but like, at the time I was like, literally so confused. I was like, when it spread to my bone, I was like, Right. My brain went instantly, you're amputating my arm. How else can yeah. you remove bone? I'll, I'll that be panicking. I'm like, imagine me having yeah. no shoulder. Like they take away my shoulder. Yeah. Like, what the <laughs> my instant reaction was, oh, so it's in the bone in my shoulder. You're gonna get rid of my arm. Like that and I'd read about people having to get amputations. But no, so first one was just a lump in my muscle, slash that's a soft tissue. They remove it was about three to four centimeters, but they've removed a lot around the edges because that's what they do with tumors. They try to remove healthy tissue around the edge because you can get the odd cancer cell that sort of spreads around and you never really know where it stops. So they try to remove as much as they can. So that's why the scars are a lot bigger than the actual tumors were. When it spread to the bone, so I've got two really cool scars running like parallel to each other. They've removed sort of a third of my scapula it's called a scapulectomy and the, I remember the uh, like consultant saying to me oh we remove parts of scapulas all the time I'm like I don't <laughs> I don't have parts of my bone removed all the time might sort of sound scary to you but it sounds scary to me so it's but it doesn't affect it wasn't next to my joint so it doesn't affect my joint 
doesn't affect anything. I've got full range of, well, nearly full range of movement. It's almost like a miracle because you're just like, how can you remove a part of your bone and then still Mm. be functioning? Got a bit of a dent, which I love showing off. When (laughs) pre-corona, I'd be like, touch, touch my dent. You can feel where the bone ends. (laughs) Yeah. And those aren't the only surgeries I've had because it has also spread to my lungs. I say this like this is so interesting and cool, but I do find it really like fascinating in a weird way. It's not a good thing. But anyway, I had spread to my lungs. Yeah. And so I have had a sort of lung procedure as well, but I don't have any scars from that because it's just, again, the magic of science, almost like a keyhole surgery where they've gone through my ribs with like a needle and then sent microwaves through a fibre and basically like zapped off the little tumour in my lung and again, tissue around it. So I've had two tumours removed with the zapper, which is called ablation. And then I do have some other tumours in my lung set. And now this year I've started on some new uh, targeted drugs Mm -hmm. that are really cool and are working. And it's a bit like chemotherapy, but you take it as a pill and it doesn't have the same effects as okay. traditional chemotherapy so it's not as bad on my immune system obviously I, I don't lose my hair um anything like that and I'm on it every day like and permanently until it stops working basically you're like so the happy vibes that are coming out of you despite <laughs> you're saying a bonga kami they put this into my lung yeah I just find it super like credit to you for inter- that. I don't know I don't know what it is I'm not happy about it mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm definitely positive about it. I just, it's just like almost like learning. Maybe I'm just a bit nerdy. I think that's all it is. I'm nerdy <laughs> about it. Like it's such a big part of my life. I've done so much research on it. It's, I've met my five year, I've now met my like five year mark, survival mark. Um, so it's just like been part of my life for so long. And I just find it so interesting. For a second, I was like 2016 to 2019 isn't five years. Where are you doing this maths from? And then I realized. 2021 wow. <laughs> 2020 didn't really happen did it <laughs> yeah yeah true i want to take it back slightly to when you said like you found the lump and then you got diagnosed was that basically just it were there any like any other symptoms that kind of made you no are like associated with it no literally none i was a very very healthy fit energetic like person didn't have any other ailments at all. Painless, like, growing lump. And that is one of the major symptoms of sarcomas. It's like a breast lump or a testicular lump. Like you don't have any other symptoms necessarily when it's small, but you have to feel for it. You have to check your body. So five years since I've not had any other. The lung tumours are very, very small and people can have healthy lungs even if they only have one lung so I wouldn't necessarily feel any symptoms of that yeah and when it spread to my bone I think like I had a bit of pain in my shoulder my arm and like sometimes I would get backache Mm -hmm. but I would never like necessarily like associate it with as a cancer symptom like I would never have been gone to my doctor and said I'm having pain you need to check there like it's just one of those things I thought was kind of normal so yeah no I mean normal Cancer symptoms can be things like losing weight, losing your appetite, just general changes in your health, basically. But I didn't have anything and still don't. 
Okay. And then when did you, when did you find out that it was incurable? When it had spread to my lungs. So I feel like that was nine months after my diagnosis, but I always knew there was a chance anyway, because they had already very close to my diagnosis. They'd spotted something on my lungs, but they weren't sure what it was. They said, because they say anyone could have a mark on their lungs. It doesn't necessarily mean it's cancer. So by the 10 month mark, they could see that it was growing and actually there were more spots turning up. So that's when they knew, knew for sure. And then the next year, March, April, maybe, I found out they'd spread to my bone. And that was when the surgeon said to me, oh, he used his battle analogy, which is something I hate. The battle, and you know, people say you're fighting. Oh, this is just a battle. You're a whole war analogy. Like I hate it so much for like lose, lose the battle, win the war and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. They lost their fight. It's like, no, they died. They were unlucky. But anyway, yeah, he was like, this is just one battle in a long war. And you do realize this is incurable now. We're going to do our best. And that was when I was like, oh, okay. So it wasn't immediate. There was a period of time where I thought it was it was gone. Like, I was like, all right, I'm free from it now. It's all good. But it was short-lived. <laughs> okay, like, this is looking really good on doctors with the misdiagnosis for that Warwick here. Like, I'm pretty sure I've heard a few cases where they misdiagnose things. Although Warwick GP, they did, they did get to you quite quick. I felt mm-hmm. for like, the misdiagnosis that are now surfacing. It's not looking quite good. No, it's not. No, it's very bad. I know. I don't know. I don't know whether it's student doctors or they're seeing students most of the time and just students tend to be quite healthy. It normally is something really like, you know, not that serious. But um, in some cases it is. Yeah, they definitely need to work on that, <laughs> taking people seriously. And then when they said it was incurable, do they correct me if I'm wrong? Like I'm just basically, basically off like TV shows mm-hmm. I've seen. Do they then like tell you like how long you've got left to like, live or like like what the average age is yeah. for someone who is suffering from it? So that was, yeah, I've learned that there's a difference between incurable and terminal. So I think once it's terminal, which means that you are going to die from it, they will use that word. I think he purposely used incurable because I'm not dying from it, especially my type. It's a very... People can live like a really long time, even once it's spread. The tumours in my lungs are growing so, so slowly. I'm at the moment really fit and healthy. It's not, and it's not out of control. Mm-hmm. At that time, he was, there was something that they could do about it. Like they could cut out the tumour in my bone. But yeah, I was very, I was interested in that, but I was too scared to ask. Yeah. So I did a lot of Googling and eventually I asked, but like in a really roundabout way, I was like, so what would happen? to me if you couldn't treat me like what what and then he knew what I was asking but he again gave me an analogy where he was like if we put you on a desert island and we'd never found it and we didn't have any we weren't treating you then eventually the cancer would take over your body um and like your organs I'm like okay basically you're saying it would kill me eventually that's not quite answering my question but I'll take it it's fine this doctor must be yeah. like, must have maybe over his time found ways to deliver the news and less, <laughs> you know, like less. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine delivering that news. Like, how do you, how do you tell someone? So like this guy yeah. must have the analogy system. 
to do it. Yeah, but I feel like if you're in that profession that he is, I assume he like specializes in like treatments like that. You must like have to give that conversation like more than once. Yeah, exactly. Like, having said that, I imagine I'd be quite similar. I'd be, I can see myself definitely giving some football analogies like somehow, <laughs> like just from like awkwardness. Like I would just be like really like awkward. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. There's so many things, like so many layers to it. They are experts. They're experts in like oncology and in cancer. They're not experts in like, you know. Talking. Uh, what's like, yeah, in human interactions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they must be doing it like most days, I'd assume. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they did it badly. I think everyone's different and they never know how someone's going to react. Like there's. They must have. They must have people having full on meltdowns, like screaming, crying. Like you never know how someone's going to react, so you have to kind of tiptoe. And that is how they've. A lot of them do it. It's like kind of drip feed you information, and then see how you react, and then give you a little bit more information, and then see how you react. And then they go, "Any questions?" And you're like, "You," because it's so hard to like think in that situation. You leave the appointment, you go home, you're like, "I have 101 questions." Yeah. In the appointment, they're like, "Do you have any questions?" And you just cut. You say, "No, I don't know. Should I have questions? I don't know." Now looking back, like I would have asked so many things, but I didn't know what to ask. I've never been in any situation like that before. Yeah. When you said like you were like googling and find out like the difference between like terminal and like incurable, mm. was that kind of like a? Hamish mentioned before, like how like positive you seem. Were you always like that throughout? Or was like, I can imagine like a moment like that where you're like, okay, no, this, this might not kill me. I'm going to be like positive about it. It's not going to kill me kind of thing. And then would you, would you say that you're always generally like quite, quite like that? I would say it depends on what you mean by positive, because I think my version of positive is that like I'm dealing with it and that I've accepted that it's happening. So I'm not positive in that. Like I'm like, I'm definitely like going to get through this and I'm going to live a full life. I'm positive in that, like, I know I'm not going to be able to live a full life. Like, I know the reality of it is that eventually it probably will kill me and it is just going to keep coming back. I'm probably going to be on way more treatments. I'm probably going to have to have more surgeries. So there's no point, like, mulling about for the rest of my life because this yeah. this is my life now. So I think I was, there was a moment, it took a long time, a lot of being inside my own head and then eventually just, like, talking to other people about it. So I guess, yeah, more acceptance than being positive in the sense of feeling like I don't know I think there's a lot of toxic positivity in the cancer community sometimes and I hate really hate it when people are like you're gonna pull through this you can fight this you'll like you'll do this I'm like but I've been told it's incurable so actually the likelihood is I won't but that's just not helpful for you to say that to me whereas saying like I don't know I've written blogs about like what people can say because there are a lot of yeah, things I was about of like, to ask don't that. say this to a cancer patient. Yeah. Um, Ideal world, you've just met someone oof. new. Yeah. And I guess you've told them that you've yeah. been diagnosed with this incurable cancer. What's kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, how would you, what kind of reaction would you like appreciate? That's probably a tough, that's probably a tough question. No, there's been a lot. I think there's been a lot of both. There's been a lot where I'm like, I'm really happy with the way that person reacted. Yeah. And then there's others where I'm like, well, if anybody says that to me again, <laughs> I'm going to go crazy. I'm trying to think of ways that people, I've been come out of a conversation where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy I told them. 
it's getting striking the balance of like sympathy and being understanding being like oh my gosh that must be really hard for you because when people are like oh but I had a family member that did this and that I'm like no 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 just listen to me this is like my situation and I so I think showing that you've listened to what they've said recognizing that it's a very difficult situation and asking questions it shows that you're interested and that it shows the person that I've not completely like put them off ever speaking to me again. I, cause that's one of the reasons I might, oh, people just won't be comfortable being friends with me because they're scared to talk about cancer with me. I love people who are just like, yeah, ask me loads of questions and are just really understanding, just showing that they're listening. I think that's the main thing. I have one question. So we don't come back to this later. So when you, when you go for your appointment, so you're obviously in the ward for that for cancer. So there's other yes. patients there for the same reason. What is yes. that room like? Is it like a positive room? Like is it like? Because oh, I can't. That's an interesting question. I I was like, wait. So everyone there basically knows we all have something related to this. Yeah. So that's not always the case. It depends what you're at your appointment for. Okay. But where I have my consultations, which is like with the person like in charge of my care, who's the like expert, um, that's I'm actually still currently on the teenage and young adult ward in a Macmillan Centre in London. So yeah, that one of those first appointments there I was walking up to this super happy, like glaringly like positive wards. Everything's like brightly coloured. This is all funded by Teenage Cancer Trust, I think, or maybe Macmillan. Um, there's like a keyboard, there's games, there's like a books, posters, like positive posters, because you get teenagers and like really young people getting treated there. So it was a very, very strange. I definitely the first time I went, I was like, I do not belong here. You see the odd like really young person who's, you know, really frail and I don't know, people walking with like chemo pumps. It was pretty horrible being there the first time. And when you it's a big glass building and when you look down there's like a chemotherapy ward which I've actually never been on but um with just people sitting there with their chemo pumps all day so it's very surreal but yeah it is a ward with other cancer patients but for me it's hard because it's young people but it's nice being around just young people because I know a lot of people in their 20s 30s who go to their cancer hospital and are just surrounded by elderly people and they feel even more out of place because they're like this shouldn't be happening to me because obviously cancer is an aging disease but mostly yeah it's not very nice to be honest (laughs) yeah cool uh let's let's go on to then assumptions and like myths and some of that stuff so yeah what, what are like some of the main main stuff you get let me think so I think being a young person with cancer just brings up so many different questions than if it if I was an older person. So it's like, so what caused it? Cancer, majority of cancers don't have a cause. I think that's a, a major one. I have had people be like, ask me what caused it or does cancer run in your family? Which uh, there are actually, there are only a few cancers that are hereditary, most of them like literally the majority of them, there are over 200 different types of cancer. The majority of them just happen by chance slash they haven't done the research (laughs) to find out what causes them. I think that's a common thing that cancers, the different types of cancers get grouped a lot. Like they just consider it Mm -hmm. every cancer, this happens, this happens, this happens. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was one of the first things I got told was that um, there are like over 100 different types of sarcoma. You've just got one type and they're all completely different. So for me, like there was no point in me looking up just sarcoma. Like I had to know specifically what my type was. Breast cancer. There are so many different types of breast cancer. You can't just say I've got breast cancer. If you ever meet a breast cancer patient, they'll be like, I've got a HER2 positive, negative stage, whatever breast oh, really? cancer. Okay. They're all so specific and have different types within them and they're all treated differently. One of the major ones that I wanted to speak about was that the sugar. Don't know if you guys have ever heard that sugar causes cancer <laughs> so i'm on cancer.net right now and oh god i'm on a page called science fact of science fiction nine common cancer myths and myth number one is cancer thrives on sugar but i've i've never actually thank heard you of this. Yeah, oh, you've never heard of it yeah it, oh okay this is clearly like a cancer thing as well because i get told all the time when you're when you're on the internet people just love to like give you advice and not everyone is like means what's what's the phrase not, not everyone means bad by it oh are you still eating sugar like i thought that like fed cancer <laughs> there is science behind it i'm not a scientist so like i don't want to like try attempt to explain it but it's, it's wrong basically there is some evidence that cancer cells like feed off glucose which comes from sugary things but it also comes from things like bread and pasta and like starchy foods basically so to tell a cancer patient that to cure their cancer they just need to quit sugar or they cause their cancer because they ate sugar oh it riles me <laughs> riles me out the wrong way <laughs> it's not true myth thank you yeah I've, I've clicked on a few links and it's like the top one for most of them yes thank you and then the other one that i would like to mention is that there isn't a cure for cancer don't know if you've ever heard that one that conspiracy why is in there's a cure for cancer think... they just don't want to tell you have you never heard that one either i thought it was like specific to certain types i didn't know it was like no like as in like i thought you could treat maybe not like a cure as specific but you could definitely treat and rid some no yeah yeah no that's okay. not a myth there, yeah obviously there are oh so what do you if mean if you're by diagnosed cure, early especially no people think that there is some weird medicine out there like that they're just hiding from us because like a vaccine or something i don't know and I, I think these people don't understand that yeah cancer is like multifaceted and there are over 200 types and each one's completely different they're like they're hiding it because pharmaceutical companies make so much money off chemotherapy blah blah so yeah that's on the nhs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like most of it should be subsidized for you if you have to pay anything right oh no no i don't yeah, I, I don't pay anything. Okay, yeah. Woohoo! Thank God for the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> should, we, should we have a read of some of these? Uh, yeah. Some of these. I've found a different website now, cancercenter.com. Oh, God. <laughs> these website names. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a biopsy makes cancer spread. There's actually a little bit of, little bit of truth to that, but it's not, it's not like it shouldn't deter you from getting a biopsy. But I have heard some, the way that they, biopsy is like a needle biopsy. Mm -hmm. They put a needle through and then they pull it out to bring. And I think there have been some cases where like cancer cells can like spread with the needle or something. I don't know what you what you can read there, but I've definitely heard of some things. Yeah, it says when a, there's like a quote from someone saying there's absolutely no evidence that doing a biopsy or removing the cancer will make it spread. When a tumour needs to be removed or yeah. tested, the process will not cause the cancer to grow. However, 
having it removed or tested is an important part of the treatment process. Yeah, no, it definitely wouldn't wouldn't let it deter you from getting a biopsy. I think it might be specific types or like specific areas where it's biopsies are slightly more risky. But generally, they wouldn't do something if it wasn't safe and if there was a risk of it spreading it more. Yeah. There's this one here. Can eating burnt foods cause cancer? Oh. Is that another one? No. (laughs) Yeah, burnt foods. Oh. (laughs) Again, not true. I think there are some chemicals that occur when food gets burnt. So people think that it can give you cancer. So if you've ever had burnt toast, guys, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're going to get it. just funny so the the reason that cancer myths are like just so so annoying for someone with cancer is because a lot of it just like makes you think that people are trying to tell you that it's your fault somehow people like to reason it i think they find it very difficult to like believe that a young fit and healthy person could possibly be diagnosed with something like cancer so they just try and reason with it and be like oh it must has to have some cause I think because they want to believe maybe that it it can't happen to them, but it can happen to anyone. Anything unusual, no matter how old you are, no matter how healthy you are, if it lasts for more than a couple of weeks, get it checked out, please. (laughs) Yeah. And get your doctors to take it seriously. Was there a point, as you mentioned earlier as well, you go onto your Instagram and you can see that you'd like talk about it a lot and you're quite like owned by it. I see you've got a blog as well. Mm -hmm. When did you start that? Like, when did you feel like, quite comfortable about talking about it all i started my blog when i was in rome okay so all that finding yourself (laughs) (laughs) so that would have been like two years after my diagnosis maybe less i'd wanted to do it for ages and i was really really nervous and i think having sort of spare time and having a bit more confidence led me to starting it i think also having a rare cancer is so difficult to find real information and personal experiences online so I just really wanted to like get my personal experience out there for anyone who finds themselves in a similar situation and again wants to read some helpful posts from personal experience and I have had a a few people now with sarcoma and with alveolar soft part sarcoma contact me saying that they'd found my blog and they found it really really helpful Um, and that's makes me very happy. I've recently met a girl online and she's up north somewhere in the UK and she's got the exact same cancer as me and she got in touch with me um, saying I've I've found you on Instagram and I found your blog and I'm finding it so helpful and I want to make a friend because it's so difficult to find people with the same type of cancer and it's just been really really nice to have that support system because it is lacking when you've got when you're a young person and you're going through a rare cancer diagnosis yeah no no it's really cool i i think uh are you also like trying to you hear like a lot of people who have cancer or have like been through cancer like trying to like spread awareness yes very passionate about raising awareness i just do it whenever i can through my instagram or twitter and that's like kind of what i want to go into for work as well like i'd love to work with a cancer charity just a health charity to be honest just being able to raise awareness from like a bigger platform. Yeah, super passionate about it and fundraising as well. Just getting out there. I've done a couple of like bake sales on, in my front garden where I'm just like literally shouting like, sarcoma is cancer. Have you heard of sarcoma? Buy a cupcake. <laughs> no, no shame. Was, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> if you uh, followed me on Instagram, I don't know if you've been looking, if you've been watching some of my stories, I post food. It's basically half cancer and half food. <laughs> and that's no exaggeration. It's half like, ah, look at this cancer thing. Like yesterday I brought out a blog about cervical cancer and then like around that, because it was cervical cancer awareness week last week, around that I've got like, this is what my dinner was. This is what my breakfast was. Today I was baking. So today I baked, me and my sister baked a uh, molten lava chocolate cake oh i saw that that was so good (laughs) (laughs) before we like start to like wrap up with like final questions and all that kind of stuff what's like people listening who i guess what's like the main kind of message you'd want to get across to them i've got a really good tagline that i love to use which is check all your bits not just your balls and your tits is that okay? <laughs> that's, 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 that's more than fine. That is a quantity. Um, <laughs> because we'll, we'll have to everyone knows. Yeah? Yeah, just, just that. Just keep, just just keep that. looping it. No, balls and tits, balls and tits. No. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but everyone knows that they, those, you know, two main areas, and those are like two of the most common cancers. But like, you need to be looking out for all the symptoms. I'm not saying like be really like every single day, like feeling your whole body and making sure you've not, is that like checking every mole, but like just being aware, like we should be teaching people from a really young age, just be aware of what's normal for your body. Cause then as soon as something's not normal for you, you'll know. And if it lasts for a while, then you'll know to get it checked out. Like, you know, your body better than anyone. So trust it and look out for unusual side effects side effects unusual symptoms <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah for sure i think uh i don't think we can end the episode on a better quote to be honest <laughs> yeah awesome so um each episode we end it off with like some final questions a call out and a shout out yeah we'll okay. start off with the final questions and first one is what's one thing you would like to change in the world such a deep question yeah <laughs> I don't want to be really predictable and be like, oh, I'd eliminate cancer. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, do I have to know how I would go about changing it? No, no. <laughs> There's so many things that I want to change about the world. I, c- I, would try, I would try and eliminate poverty probably by taxing the rich. <laughs> Get some of the billionaires' money and give it to the poor people so nobody has to you know go hungry i think this like pandemic has sort of highlighted the like you know stark like differences in you know between the rich and the poor and i don't think it's fair it doesn't need to be like that when there is such there's such wealth in the world so yeah i'd, I'd be a bit of a robin hood i think <laughs> give me a couple million like it. give it to them <laughs> i was gonna say like you you joke about the possibility of a joke about being a, a canter joke from us, but we're we're not willing to take that line or that risk. And then you say it after, and we're just like, oh ah, God. hilarious! Canter <laughs> jokes are always welcome. Don't worry. Well, actually, no, it depends. So yeah, you're probably right not to take the risk. We're like, yeah, true. <laughs> we're like, okay, she made the joke, so it's okay for us to laugh. Oh dear. Yeah. The second and final question is: You're on death row. What's your chosen three course meal and drink? I've obviously given this a lot of thought. Food is very, very, very important to me. But I think the thing that I've come up with is a bit of a cop-out because <laughs> I've just tried to include as much 
food as possible, but still have it be a three course meal. So my starter, just be smoked salmon. Just smoked salmon. Yeah. I don't want to fill up too much, but I love smoked salmon. So just be smoked salmon, a bit of lemon juice, black pepper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my main, I've gone for Turkish takeaway, like a Turkish meze. Is okay. that okay? You can, you can <laughs> with, you like everything. Okay. With just, everything. Wait. I've got, can I list off what, what I've decided to go for with my Turkish food? Yeah, we've got hummus, baba ganoush. Toasted pita breads, dolma, which are like the stuffed vine leaves, which are the like, mm, yeah. Okay. Halloumi, kofta, doner kebab meat, chicken sheesh. And then I've written those, those green, spicy, chili, juicy pepper things. Do you know what those, I don't know what they're called, but I love them. Definitely a cop out, but like just a little bit of everything. That, I, I mean, that is a meal that sometimes I would have. So. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the restaurant the turkish restaurant the whole restaurant the whole menu and then for dessert i've gone for basically what i had for pudding tonight which is a like a melt in the middle chocolate pudding with salted caramel ice cream and raspberries oh, lovely any drink oh, just thinking about it drink are we allowed alcohol yeah yeah go for it that's what i wasn't sure about the, my favorite drink is an espresso martini which is very bougie but i think if it was my last ever drink You've got yeah, to go, go for, it, for, go it. for it. An espresso martini. So Get me. coffee and a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. It's got coffee in it, <laughs> vodka, coffee liqueur, and sugar. Perfect. Well, why not? Why not? Oh. And then third question. So this is actually a question we ask every guest. And it's what has yes. been your most memorable third wheeling experience? I forgot about this question. Memorable. I would say at Warwick, I was in a relationship quite a lot of the time. So going clubbing with a single girlfriend is probably the worst decision you could ever make because um, you get abandoned and end up having to follow her and whatever guy or girl she's found in the club. And I'm there like, well, I'm in a relationship, so I'm just going to stand here and wait for you to be done. And there were a couple of occasions where I went out with a particular girl and it just happened like every time. She'd be like, let's have a girl's night. She'd end up getting with someone. I'd end up going, I want to go home now. She'd go, you can't leave me. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. Where was that? Neon smack copper rooms? Casbah. I loved (laughs) Casbah. No, there was one time where she was with this guy. So I was left with his friend and he was smoking. And I think we had a bit of a discussion. And I don't, I, I wasn't even the one who brought it up. He was like, well, I smoke because like, I mean, even if I get lung cancer, you've got to die of something, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. I need to go. <laughs> I can't be with this. Can't hang around this guy anymore. Oh, I, I kept, I kept my cool. Yeah, good, good, good. But it was difficult. I've been hearing some mad shit today. <laughs> 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 Uh, last bits of shout out. So basically anything you want to plug and tell the people to check out, now's the time. So yeah, Maddie, anything? My blog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah? I, I, I wasn't sure if you were okay? gonna say yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if you're gonna say yeah. more. My blog. It's called Maddie's Cancer Tales. And if you type that into Google, it should come up. And I don't just talk about cancer. I talk about other things as well, like like traveling and like food and I like debate about gen- some 
current affairs that interest me and it's generally like funny and positive like me but also like informative so yeah definitely i'd like to people to check that out yep um a link for that will be in the description as well so yeah definitely go check that out hamish anything I was just going to shout out two songs. Uh, one by M. Huncher called Overpriced. Uh, the second M. Huncher song is Dancing on Ice with Nave Smalls and Young Bane. And yeah, obviously, the links that uh, Maddie has given goes without saying. So I'm sure you check them out. I'm going to shout out the same thing I shouted out in the episode we recorded this morning, which we released the week after this episode. So yeah, a bit mind boggle. But um, <laughs> at the start of like COVID, I made a website which just kind of gave like numbers on people in different countries like how many people how many cases there were how many people had recovered how many people had died like for basically all countries and i've basically last week or so been remaking it giving it a bit of redesign and added some like vaccination information so like vaccination like statistics and stuff so a bit more positive yeah go check that out link for that will be in the description too that's so cool i want to check that website But yeah, Maddie, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thanks for like talking so openly. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, no, it's been great. Hopefully everyone else also enjoyed it and learned something too. Um, and yeah, go check out all the, all the links in the description. I think that's, yeah, pretty much everything. And we'll just speak to you all next week. Hey, have a good day, everyone. See you in a right, bit. See you guys. Right. Bye.